Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Bill Press Pod. Do Democrats have a great opportunity to beat Donald Trump this year? Yes. But could they blow it? Also, yes. How to make sure they don't blow it? Well, maybe they should listen to a Republican who's made a career out of beating Democrats at the polls for the last couple of decades. Rick Wilson has run successful campaigns for Republican candidates for president, governor, senator, congress, and mayor, but he walked away from today's Republican Party when it embraced Donald Trump. And now Rick Wilson wants to help Democrats save America by denying Donald Trump a second term. In his wild new no-holds-barred book called Running Against the Devil, Wilson gives Democrats a step-by-step roadmap on how to beat Donald Trump. (laughs) Let's just hope they take his advice. We caught up with Rick Wilson while he was in Washington for a big book signing at Politics and Prose. Rick Wilson, good to see you. Thank you for having me, Bill. Congratulations on the book. Thank Uh, you very much. Enjoyed it. Enjoyed it very, very much. Uh, I want to get into the book, of course, but uh, we meet on the day the Senate votes to acquit Donald Trump of... uh, any charges and leave him in office. What's your take on this Senate vote? Well, look, on the one hand, it was always inevitable. Getting to two-thirds was never a mathematical possibility. You just weren't going to get there. Um, And that's partly because of Mitch McConnell's iron grip over the Senate. It's partly because the characteristics of the Republican caucus, and it's partly because how much they're terrified of Donald Trump. Um, I do think, though, this is a tragic day for this country. I think this is a day where the where the legislative branch has abrogated a big chunk of its power and basically said that presidents in the future are essentially immune. They have no sanction, no accountability. There's no possibility they can be held to any sort of legal standard while they're in office. I think it's a very, very terrible precedent they've set. And I think that Mitch McConnell will not go down in history favorably because of of the way in which he railroaded this process in the Senate. So now Donald Trump has survived the Mueller investigation. Mm-hmm. He has survived a trial in the Senate, even though he's been impeached. Um, where does Donald Trump go from here? Well, Donald Trump goes crazy from here because every time Donald Trump gets out of one problem, he puts himself in another. And I, I predict one of the things that's going to happen with these Republican members who've said, there's no evidence the president did any of this. This is a, 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 a show trial. This is a witch hunt. I predict what's going to happen is Donald Trump is going to come out within the next few days and go, I did it. I did it all. <laughs> Screw you. <laughs> that would be very Trump brand right? for Donald <laughs> Trump. <laughs> and do you think that this vote will have any impact on 2020, either for Republican senators running or for Trump himself? Well, I think it's going to have an impact um, on Republican senators, first off, because they're going to be seen as part of the cover up. Because what we know with everything about Trump is that... And more and more is going to come out. Right. Once you once you see one bad thing, it, there's never something in the pile that exonerates him. There's always something in the pile that makes it worse. 
So the conspiracy will always be revealed. These things always come out. You've got all these ancillary players around this orbit who are going to talk. You know, you've got Love Parnas drip, drip, drip. You've got Bolton eventually going to come out with his stuff. Mm -hmm. All these things will be revealed. And so these guys are going to be seen as co-conspirators in this thing, not just as, as you know, impartial arbiters in a Senate trial. Right. The book, Running Against the Devil, A Plot to Save America from Trump and Democrats from Themselves. Again, I thought it was very important, very powerful lessons here, and a fun read. Um, let me just ask you the central question. Can Democrats win this election in 2020? They can win, Bill, but it's a very steep path. It's a very narrow path. And it's a very rocky path. And they've got to do a lot of things. Not right. automatic. It is not automatic. And if they think it's automatic, they need to get in another line of work because every incumbent president has enormous power to, to, to bend the election to their will. And Donald Trump, for all of his many, 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 many horrors and flaws, is a great showman, a great reality television operator. We saw that and, in the State of the and Union. And he's, most importantly, he's just absolutely shameless and lawless. He will engage in a campaign Democrats are not ready for right now. They've mentally prepared themselves for a campaign where they fight this out over health care or gun policy or climate or whatever whatever is in their head that moment. It's not. It's a referendum on Donald Trump. That's the only thing it is. And unless they're ready to do that, to make this purely about what, a binary choice of a Donald Trump or somebody else, I think they're in some political peril. So, um, again, I think there's some very important lessons here and rules that you lay out that Democrats should follow. And I want to ask you about them. But the question I get when I ask people about the book is, tell people about the book is, why should we trust you? I mean, you're a Republican operative strategist going way back to George H.W. Bush well, look, days. Look, I, I was part of this machine that got built up over 30 years. And, you know, there were parts of it I was exceptionally good at. Negative advertising was, the you know, the sort of part of the toolbox that I was exceptionally good at. Um, and I've given up that world and all those relationships and friendships and, and all that. And believe me, consulting was a great business. It was a fine business. Found money. Uh, it, it, let's put it this way. Having two New York times bestselling books is still rounding error for what it, you know, being in the media business. Um, but I've made the sacrifices in my, in, in my personal comfort and in my ideological comfort because I think Donald Trump is a threat to this country like we've never seen before. I think he is rapidly on the path to becoming something much more authoritarian than small R Republican. And, and I think that, that we are at a, at a transition moment, an inflection point in our country, where if people of, of, of good character and, and of good intent don't step up, even if it costs them something, then you know we're going to lose. And my... Like I said, my ideological priors and, and my ideological positions on things are not as important right now as preserving this country and preserving this republic. And I think he is a threat to it. And I think he puts us at risk at home and abroad in ways that no other president in my lifetime has. So is your mission to um, get a job, your mission to sell books, your mission to save the country? My Look, my mission, modestly speaking, my mission is to save the country. Um the selling books part, if people like them, they buy them, that's great. Um, and I'm, I'm very honored that I've had two New York Times number one bestsellers. You know, that doesn't, that's not going to get old. That, 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 <laughs> right. that's, that's a high honor that people have responded very well to, the, to these two books. But my job is to turn this country around and, and try, to save, um, try to save us from slipping into this authoritarian populism 
that I that that historically speaking has been a very dangerous path for any country to go down. So I was really struck by your first rule, or one of the first rules at least. It's so so elemental, but a lot of people forget it, and that is, it's all about rule number one: the electoral college. It is, and a lot, of, a lot of my Democratic friends hate the Electoral College. They think it's antiquated or unfair or racially biased or what have you. But it's the rule. It's how the system works. It's wired into the Constitution. And for right now, that's the only game in town. And so the election, realistically speaking, is over in 35 states. I know how California is going to vote. You know how yeah, Mississippi yeah. is going to vote. It's, it's done. We know how New York City, New York State is going to vote. We're not. Those aren't mysteries. But the places Donald Trump was able to squeeze out in th in three states with 77,000 votes, in four states with a total of 109,000 votes, the narrowest election since Bush v. Gore, those states are in play and those states are gettable, but they have to do the work and, and run the right campaigns in those states. And so we talk about them all the time. It's, it's mm -hmm. Michigan, Wisconsin, Arizona, P Pennsylvania, Ohio, Florida, North Carolina, Colorado. These states are in play. But it is not an easy lift if you go into these states on the hard progressive edge because Michigan and Ohio and Florida, these states are not as woke as yeah. Portland or as Oregon or Washington State or California or Massachusetts. They're just not. The politics there are different. And, you know, you know this. Out in the country, the majority of Democrats are much more moderate than, you know, than what I call the Twitter Democratic Party. <laughs> and... And, and they're a lot less woke and they're a lot less, you know, progressive activist flavor uh, out in the country. You know, these, these union guys who Trump pulled them in in 2016 in Michigan and Ohio and Wisconsin, they're fundamentally Democrats. They believe in an economic fairness, but they're not in for the ride on a lot of the other things that seem to come with. Can Democrats get them back? I think they can get them back with a powerful economic message about how Trump has screwed them. Because the trade war is, an, is, a, is a sword hand, Trump handed them to cut off his head if they do it right. You've got enormous damage in the ag belt in Iowa, in Missouri, in Wisconsin, uh, and in Michigan, where the trade war has you know, basically ended up with been the farm foreclosure uh, mm -hmm. driver yeah. like nothing we've seen in a very long time. And so... Yeah, and the, the promises that we were going to have this giant economic recovery of manufacturing jobs and steel mills and coal mining and all these you know heavy lift industrial jobs uh, that, that are also very unionized, that promise was very attractive to those guys. Hillary yeah. Clinton was saying, I'm going to close down the coal mines and we're going to close down the polluting steel mills, all this stuff. And those people basically heard that as an attack on them. Sure. And so even if they had problems with Trump or didn't love him, they're like, well, shit, might as well take a chance. What, what could be worse? And so now we know what's worse. The trade war with China and the, and the fact that it, the steel mill stuff, for instance, was all a lie. Yeah, and the, the coal ones, mines. The, the yeah, coal the coal mines. Coal. So it's all a lie. The one steel mill that's opening, they planned it during Obama. Right. So. But, and, and so with, with the Electoral College, what you're saying really is that the, the, the Democrats, whoever the nominee is, and we'll get to that in a second, just basically ignore... New York, California, the coasts, right? And unless focus, focus unless, on those electoral right. states. Unless they're going to California or New York to, to come money. back with a giant sack of cash, <laughs> stay out. Right. Yeah. Don't go there. Yeah. You know, they need to be in Pennsylvania. They need to be in Ohio. They need to be in Wisconsin and Michigan and Florida and Arizona. Those states are and they're, in. And they're winnable. They are winnable. 
They, those states were so narrowly cast in 2016 that they're winnable. Ohio is a tough nut. It's a much more Catholic state. Mm-hmm. I mean, look, Ohio, Michigan, Wisconsin, one of the reasons that, that the Democrats have had trouble there, and I know I've done a lot of work in those states over my career, is one of the groups we were able to get over the years was Catholic Democrats, who, again, are fundamentally Democrats in economic issues, but they tend to be, if not pro-life, then less fervently, you know, they those, those, are, those Catholic voters don't want to hear, yay, third trimester abortions, those are awesome. They don't want to hear that message. And I've sat in focus groups and had that over and over again, where it's like, I believe in social justice, I believe in, in economic fairness, but I'm but, Catholic and I, I, I value life. Yeah. And, and for Democrats, I, I've, I've always wondered about that question because the theological disconnect is going to bite them in other places that they think they're going to do well in the future. I'll tell you what, all those Hispanics that are, that are growing the population in Texas, the number one fastest growing church group in Texas are evangelical Hispanic Mexican only, or Spanish speaking only churches, hmm. and they're pro life. Yeah, and sure. so th- this is something, and and I, I I'm divorcing it from the you know whether the issue is right or wrong and choice and all that. It's just the political wedge that that the Republicans will use in those kind of places. Now, one of the other rules, and I find one as a policy nerd, long time myself, uh, hard to accept, but I do, is. Uh, you've already alluded to it. The election is not going to be won on policy papers no, either, right? it will not. Yeah. You know, and I, I love policy, and I say it in the book, I love policy people. I love them. <laughs> They're so great. I mean, they, 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 we have they policy papers on everything. Yeah, know. oh, the, the, everything. But you know what? Unfortunately, uh, just as a political cynic, I know this after 30 years, nobody ever remembers policy. <laughs> Donald Trump's policy fit on a trucker hat. Barack Obama's policy fit on a poster, hope and change. Yeah. And and people don't, in the end of the day, go in the in the voting booth and say, well, you know, I reviewed Elizabeth Warren's 650-page health care plan and Bernie Sanders' 492-page health care plan, and, and I compare it. They don't do it. It, it. it sounds cynical, but that's just where Americans are. They don't do that. And so policy's not going to win this election. It's got to be a referendum on Donald Trump and his behavior and his character. That's what you're, yeah, right. So, of course, you have to have stands on some issues, but basically it's oh, going yeah, to be yeah. a referendum on Trump. Rick, let's stop right there so we can take a little break. We're talking with Rick Wilson, author of Running Against the Devil, A Plot to Save America from Trump and Democrats from Themselves. The Bill Press Pod. We'll be right back. Today's podcast with Rick Wilson brought to you by the Laborers International Union of North America, or LIUNA. Founded in 1903, the Laborers Union today is a real powerhouse in the American labor movement, representing over 500,000 public employees and construction workers. Construction workers are active uh, building and rebuilding infrastructure and also in the energy sector, building everything from pipelines to wind farms to solar plants, all under the dynamic leadership of President Terry O'Sullivan. We salute the members of the Laborers Union and thank them for their support of the Bill Press Pod. And we're back on the Bill Press Pod with Rick Wilson, former Republican strategist, now author of the book, Running Against the Devil. You make one statement in the book which really struck me, is that every re-election is, in effect, a referendum Absolutely. on the incumbent. A, f- a bill from dog catcher to president, every re-election 
it's a decision. This guy from four more years or two more years, whatever the term limit is, or someone else. It's always that way. Every presidential election, referendum on the incumbent, every single time. So when you say referendum on Donald Trump, what should they be pointing out about Donald they Trump? They should be pointing out that Donald Trump is profoundly corrupt, that he's a man who is abusing the power of his office, that he's a man who is cruel as a policy of this government, puts children in cages. They should put on that he's a reckless day trading spender who has, who has put us on a glide slope to economic disaster with a combination of trillion-dollar-plus deficits every year, wild new borrowing from the Fed. We're, I mean, we're pumping money from the Fed that during Obama, Republicans were pulling their hair out about it. And now it's like, eh, okay, yeah. market's okay. And a $2 trillion tax cut that was engineered, and I know it was engineered because I know some of the guys who sat in McConnell's office and wrote it, to benefit about 195 hedge fund billionaires and Wall Street banks and a handful of other billionaire investor guys out in the country. That's who the bill was written for. I, I literally called one of the guys or texted him during the tax bill writing. I said, so is there any middle class tax uplift in here? His response to me was, what the fuck do I care? Yeah. They got their bill. So you've got, there are a whole portfolio of things about Donald Trump you can run on. And his character and his behavior and his cruelty and his corruption, those are a wonderful way to contrast any of these Democrats against him because none of them are as as wildly disconnected from the American tradition as of president of being president as Donald Trump. And you also say uh, that Democrats have to be willing to, and again, this is hard for some Democrats to accept because we're the nice people, mm -hmm. right? Um, we want to shake hands with Donald Trump when sure. he walks in for the State of the Union. You want to do kumbaya. You want, yeah, you want exactly. to get along. But you say hit hard. You can't do anything You've got to be else ready to hit hard. What did we learn in the 2016 election? The guys that went on stage with Donald Trump, you know, Jeb Bush, comes on stage with one zinger. And Jeb's like, I've got a good line. It was a good line, okay? It was a great line. It was a good smack. And Jeb expected Donald Trump would go, oh, and be corrected. Well, no. What did Donald Trump do? He came back like a crazy man, loco, twice as much. He you know, and all the, all, the, all the japery and all the mugging and dancing around the stage. Marco hits Donald Trump. Kits Donald Trump on defense for two solid days, but he had a bunch of people around him who said, oh, Marco, this isn't your brand. You can't be mean. You have to be the elevated one. Mm. The people are looking for love. Bullshit. They are looking for somebody who's going to go into Donald Trump, kick him in the balls, and slit his fucking throat in the political arena. They want somebody who's going to go at him hard every single minute of the day. And if they don't see that, they don't see some fight in the dog, Donald Trump will exploit that. He is a guy, he's a con man who exploits weakness. He will always drive for the net on anything he senses where the other guy has blinked. When Ted Cruz didn't walk across oh, yeah. the stage, right. look, if he'd stood on stage and called my wife ugly and said my dad killed JFK, Donald Trump would be eating through a fucking straw, okay? He'd be on the fucking ground. But Ted Cruz instead was like, oh, well, Donald Trump, he's he's fiery, he's abrasive, but I love the style. He's These guys all thought they were going to outlast him. You don't outlast him. Same you have thing to with Chris Christie, by the way. Oh, God. God. What, a, what, a, what a shameful creature he is. I mean, you know, I, I often joke that, you know, bad people fuck themselves in politics a lot. And Chris Christie's behavior as Donald Trump's hitman 
during that campaign. <laughs> he thought, oh, Donald's going to make me attorney general. He's going to make me this or that. Yeah. How you doing there, buddy? <laughs> <laughs> Look, where he... Look where he is today. He gets right? a hit on NBC or ABC News every other weekend. He's like, yeah. <laughs> so Michelle Obama says, when they go low, we go high. With all due respect to Michelle, that's a lovely sentiment when, when you are a beloved public figure. But... Uh, my 30 years in politics has shown me over and over again, when they go low, you get in the ditch, dig the hole deeper, and <laughs> then start burying them. I am, I, you know, I, I like to joke about this, that, you know, I, it's like American Psycho. When I'm, you know, when they start doing that, you put on the raincoat and get the fire axe. you got to go to town. <laughs> because, look, politics is ugly. It is a hard game. It is not necessarily one of these things where people, you know, sit down around a table and negotiate on the finer points of policy. They are, it is a contest of wills. It is a contest of personalities. And whoever the Democratic nominee is, and in, in this book, I'm not trying to pick the nominee. I mean, I warn against Bernie. I think Bernie right. is a yeah. electoral disaster waiting to happen, which is why Trump is trying to elevate Bernie, which is why the Russians are trying to elevate Bernie, because they want to pick their opponent. It's a great gift in politics to pick your opponent. So, But it is going to be a hard race, and, and you've got to go hard. And whoever the nominee is has got to be ready to face up with this guy toe-to-toe. Go hard, you say, and then start early, mm. uh, right? Which is, I wish we'd, uh, you know, maybe. Look, I wish Mike Bloomberg a year ago had started pounding in um, ads on Donald Trump about pre-existing conditions in healthcare. Okay, I wish he started pounding Donald Trump on corruption in the Oval Office. But here we are. You know, we are in the game now. We we the the clock is running every day. You you, you never get a day back in politics. That's the one resource yep. you you can always raise more money or run more ads or hire more people or put, knock more doors. You never get a day back. The clock always runs, and the clock is running right now. And I, I was you know hopeful the Democratic field would be a little more resolved by this point, but Iowa has once again given us what <laughs> Iowa always gives us, which is a complete goddamn shit show. So, well, all, with all of those rules and that path that you lay out here, I think so clearly, so importantly. Uh, for this uh, 2020 election, who do you think, you know, you're not, you're I'm not going to pick the nominee. Who do you think is the one who can best carry that message? From what you see, who's left, right? Well, we're down to four or five. We're down to four or five. And uh, with, with Bloomberg being one of those five. Uh, Bloomberg's in that list. I mean, look, money buys you a lot. And, and he has bought a lot. I will say he went from basically three to 14 with $60 million, and now it's yeah. been about $200 million, it's about 15 or 16 So yeah. I don't know, I'm not sure, but we may be asymptotically reaching a boundary layer for him mm-hmm. on you know, where the money, but we've never we've never studied this much money in a campaign before. Right. I don't have any priors to go back and go, oh, well, when so-and-so spent a billion dollars, you, know, you just don't have that. Um, look, I still think Joe Biden, because he's got high name ID, and because he is an affable figure and because he works in that Pennsylvania, Ohio, Wisconsin, Michigan matrix very well, that he's probably the strongest. But there's no superstar in this race. There's no Barack Obama. There's no Bill Clinton. There's no JFK. And that's, you know, when the Democrats have those kind of candidates, they sort of forget about the rest of the politics. Yeah. Now they've yeah. got to do a really good job on the rest of the politics. So, uh, look, I'm impressed by I'm impressed by Biden. Buttigieg has obviously, you know, got his gear together. He's obviously got his game on. And he's done very well for himself in Iowa with this outcome. But, you know, they're all right now facing this this very difficult moment where they have to decide how they're going to get rid of Bernie. 
And that's just a hard. You think Bernie's a danger? Because I, I think Bernie, I think Bernie is everything as a former Republican consultant that I want. He's 80 years old. He just had a heart attack. And unlike the normal bullshit my side pulls and goes, so-and-so is a socialist. Bernie's not just a socialist. He's an actual freaking Marxist communist, old school, you know, let's load up the aristocrats in the tumbrils to the guillotine kind of guy. And he's a caricature of all that stuff. And they will make holy hell out of it. And he will get blown out in 44 states. Is Elizabeth Warren equally uh, dangerous because of that? I, mean, I think Elizabeth is as far left as Bernie. In she's most as issues. far left as Bernie, but her affect and presentation is not Bernie. It's harder. It's slightly harder for her. I still think she's got a very high hill to climb because she's very far to the left on a lot of this stuff. She has improved tremendously as a candidate, but I'm not quite sure she's ready for the for the big show yet. And I think voters are kind of deciding that too because. She went from that sort of dominant position, and now you know she's hovering third or fourth. And and Buttigieg, who's you know raised less money and and has less of a profile in some ways, has managed to sort of scoot past her in a lot of the recent polling. Why isn't there a uh, serious challenger to Donald Trump? Well, for three reasons. Um, one, the Republican Party isn't a Republican Party anymore. It's Donald Trump's party. It is. He's a parasite that ate it from the inside out. That's over. Because of that, there's a situation where his control of the state parties has basically meant that they went out and they killed off the ability of any of these guys to get enough delegates hmm. to even mount a challenge on the floor. So, you know, there's no pathway there, legally speaking. The third thing is they're scared. They're scared to death of this guy. They yeah. live in fear that his people are going to kill them. And you think I'm kidding. I'm a guy who gets death threats by the dozen um, every day, and 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 but then these guys are in the same spot. I know that Walsh and I know that Weld have both gotten. You know, if you stay in this race, you're dead. Blah blah blah. Right. And you know, maybe ninety nine, maybe ninety nine of those threats out of a hundred are just you know shit talking. But you know, it's the you one guy, it's the one crazy person, and Trump has demonstrated that he has a few crazy people around him. Toward the end of the book, you make the point that looking to getting enough delegates, enough votes on, on November 3rd, the base is not enough. It's right? really not. Neither side. Now, I was going to say, is yeah. it is Donald Trump's base enough? It is because not Because he seems to be really focused on his base. He's working on his, Donald Trump's strategy is, is what I call base plus Florida. Hmm. Okay. If he wins Florida and holds what he did last time by ginning his base up enough, he can win. And if you blow out any two of the states that he picked up as there were you know, surprise states, mm -hmm. then it becomes a very hard strategy, very hard lift. The Democrats come into this game with about 220 electoral college votes from New York, California, Washington, Oregon, Massachusetts, et cetera, pretty much in the bag. Right. But that's their base. But getting there, getting a little, getting past that is a big lift unless they go and, and they're effective in Florida and they are effective in the northern tier industrial states. So mm -hmm. it's a tough, It's a, neither neither side has enough to go. Look, Barack Obama ran a base plus strategy. He was after suburban Republican women and he got a lot of them or got enough of them, mm -hmm. okay? George W. Bush 
compassionate conservatism was not targeted for the red meat Republican rah-rah base. It was targeted toward the affluent suburbs around, oh, I don't know, Washington and Philadelphia and Chicago and Orlando, Florida and, and Denver and across the country. So base plus is always where we're stuck in this country right now. We're so divided politically uh, you know, along basically two big fault lines that are roughly equivalent. You've got to scoot. You've got to capture some enemy territory. Right. Um, I uh, got an email this morning from one of my uh, uh, <laughs> followers, not fans, <laughs> who said some nasty things about me and said, just get ready because it's going to be four more years of Donald Trump and then eight years of Donald Jr. It will be. Is that the plan? If is the- it is their plan. And if look, if Donald Trump's party, <clears throat> as it is reflected now, what do they love? They don't care about balanced budgets or the Constitution or individual freedom and liberty or or any of the things that the Republican Party used to stand for. What they care about is two things, loving Donald Trump and pissing off liberals. <laughs> Donald Trump Jr. is like a guided weapon into the heart of a new generation of Trump followers. And all these guys in the Senate right now, Marco Rubio and Josh Hawley and Ted Cruz, Mike Lee, who think they're going to be president one day, mm. They think, oh, I can do Trumpism without the rough edges. I can do Trumpism. I can touch this nationalism, and I can make a new party out of it, and it'll be great. Bullshit. Donald Trump Jr. is going to be the showman figure, and these folks that love Trump love a show. They love a spectacle. They love the rah-rah-rah. Right, right. And so that is going to end up being a very powerful advantage for him. And his dad is going to say, that's my boy. Pick him. Right. And it will it will be a it it will it will be the beginning of a dynasty unlike any we've ever seen. Right. So that's one path is the dynasty. You suggest that the other path, there's so much at stake for Donald Trump, Daddy. We're talking about now yeah. that really it's going to be four more years or prison. Look, there's a lot of overhang on this guy that that Bill Barr has suppressed. And there's a lot of stuff that Bill Barr has kept un, kept you know under the radar, and a lot of shortcuts that he's enabled that keep keep Donald Trump from being liable for things he's doing and has done. I think there is a very very significant consequence to Trump if he loses this election, because the Justice Department will be rapidly reformed with a new president, no matter who it is, and it will not give Donald Trump a free pass on on the the portfolio of of petty and grand criminality he's engaged in for his entire career. Right. Uh, let me ask you before we break, um, how do you rate the role of the media in all of this? You say at one point here that uh, surprised me that the media, mainstream media, is Donald Trump's greatest ally. Oh, gosh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but he says we're the enemy of the American uh, people. Of course he does. But you know what? Donald Trump is a he has a sort of feral cunning, a sort of animal cunning about the media. And he understands that when he goes out and waves his dick around and acts like an ass, that they're going to cover him and they're going to keep the camera on him. And that, to Donald Trump, is the most important thing. And if he can keep that focus on him, then uh, that it, 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 first off, satisfies his ego. And second off, it, it keeps telling him one thing over and over again. They may hate me, but they will not stop covering me. They won't, they won't turn down the invitations to the White House to have the dinners. They won't stop get, taking my phone calls. So, you know, there is, and that's a, it's a tough spot to be in as a reporter. And I'm not a reporter. I'm a commentator, right. uh, you know, at this point. But I know a lot of reporters who are like, you know, the guy lies to me, but what am I going to do? Not call him? My editor will kill me. 
You know, what am I going to do? Not take his phone call when he calls me at 10 o'clock at night? My editor would kill me. And so they're in a, they're in a tight spot, and he knows that. And the fact, is, the fact is, he would not be where he is today without of course he got he got a billion billion plus in free media in 2016 his own show and then all the free media in 2016 oh yeah and his his rallies were covered right and i I tell the story in the first book i had a aide for another campaign who said to me we had first book which is everything trump Trump touches touches, dies dies. right so i had a a camp yeah in fact you know i I went back and reread my own book which is kind of a weird feeling i had never done that obviously and i was like oh my gosh you know this these moments that that it's a, there are so many new things every day, so much more crap coming down this pipeline every day. It's like you you forget the outrages of even a week ago, and that's part of Trump's evil magic. Right. But I had the story of this this one campaign aide who said we worked for weeks, we had all this press coming to this event, a big policy rollout, and then CNN and MSNBC stayed watching Trump's plane circle the airfield to land. And they and every reporter and, in the in the event walked away when they got zero coverage, just because they wanted to watch Donald Trump's plane circling and landing. Right, insane. So he should be saying thank you to the yeah. Media oh, he should. Oh, and, and you know what? He plays the game very very effectively. He knows what he's doing exactly. So finally, are you afraid of Donald Trump coming after you? Has he come after you? I mean, he's come oh, he's come. Him. He's sent his people after me, and he's tweeted about me before. Which you know, I I've got a thick skin, but what bothers me is their outrage machine is calibrated to have to put his opponents in a position and his his, his adversaries in a position where the pressure on their families is so great that they shut up. Mm-hmm. So you know, this last week I said something smartass about Donald Trump couldn't find Ukraine on a map uh, if it had a the letter U and a physical crane picture next to it, <laughs> and so they tried to turn this into like Wilson's attacking Donald Trump's base. So since then, um, we've dealt with about 500 death threats of varying degrees of credibility. Jesus. A few of them now are in the hands of law enforcement, and it's not just me. It's not like, oh, Wilson, you're wrong. You're an asshole. It's I'm coming to kill and ra- rape and kill your daughter, and she lives at this address and and mm-hmm. so and so. I'm going to murder your son. I'm going to slit your son's throat. It was one really special one last week. And, you know, we give those over to law enforcement. But the thugocracy around this guy re- d- demands fear of people and capitulation of people, which is not my style. You know what? If they shoot me, oh, well, that's going to be how it's going to be. I'm going to, you know, if I'm in Florida where I can carry, you know, I'm going to try to put a, put a, put a, at least a little bit of uh, skin in the game, but, but they, they want to, they want you to be afraid. They want you to be passive. They want you to shut up and they want you to feel like he's, he's got a, a, a group of people around him who will, who will do violence to you. And I don't play that game. Have any of the democratic candidates come calling? No comment. Okay. (laughs) And on that note, the book is Running Against the Devil. I highly recommend it. Democrats read this book, follow what this book says. A plot to save America from Trump and Democrats from themselves. Rick Wilson, thank you. Thank you for having me, Bill. I really appreciate it. And that's it for today's edition of the Bill Press Pod. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks so much to Rick Wilson for joining us. And now your little job, if you haven't already done so, we always remind you, please subscribe to the Bill Press Pod. It's free and it's easy. Just go to wherever you're listening to this podcast, search for the Bill Press Pod. When it comes up, click.
click on subscribe and you are in. And of course, the best way to follow us is to follow me on Twitter. I won't bug you as often as Donald Trump does, but you'll get my daily tweets plus advance notice of any new podcast coming up on the Bill Press Pod. Uh, again, just go to Bill Press Pod, click on subscribe, and on Twitter you can follow me at Bill Press Pod, at Bill Press Pod. That's it. Stay strong, and we'll see you on the next edition of the Bill Press Pod.